Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, it's 2021, new year, new you. What's going on? Oh my goodness. What is going on? Not much has changed since 2020 for me acutely. So that is going to be the topic of our show today. Uh, Man, that was an easy segment, segue. It, I like it. Um, true. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of people have been rightfully fed up with the year 2020 and very excited to get to 2021. I cannot tell you how many times... I've heard, oh, thank God 2020 is over, or that's so 2020, or the opposite. Yes, it's finally 2021 over the last few days. And we wanted to talk about the fact that it is wonderful that 2020 is over, and we'll get into that. There's some fascinating science that shows that the flipping of a calendar actually makes a difference. And then it doesn't really make a difference. And both of those things are true at once. And that's what we're going to talk about today. All right. You know, it, 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 I've heard that a lot too. On the thank God it's 2021. It's a new year. Um, and it's interesting because it reminds me of this like break it down effect, which is essentially we, we get to set the standard and we look a little bit ahead and think, oh, man. If we can only get to that, then it's all better. And again, I'm going to go to the running world of when I'm on, in a race or I'm in a long run, it's, oh, if I can only make it to that next mile mark or that mile 20 of the marathon, it'll be okay. And we do that to make things a little psychologically easier on us. And taking it out of the running world, you see things like video games master this, Right. We have these nice little checkpoints, next levels, um, all that stuff to allow us to, to say, oh, if we can only make it to that, and then we can look ahead to the next one. And I think that's what you've kind of seen in these last couple months is the finish line. Most people with 2020 are, you know, dealing with COVID and all of that stuff and politics and the COVID finish line isn't for several months, but it, it has this nice round feeling of, Oh, just make it to 2021. And then hopefully that year is better. Right. And well, first I have a question. Do you play video games, Steve? I feel like I know you like a brother, but I don't know this about you. Um, I don't anymore, but when I was younger, you know, I was, I played video games a lot. So yeah. old- my guess is that video games and running 100 mile weeks on its face don't go together, but I'm sure they actually really go together because you're probably tired all the time after oh, running. Yeah. So then you play video games all day. It, exactly. I mean, that that was, <laughs> it's, it's kind of sad to think about it now, but, um, or maybe it's not, it was great. But in college, that was, that was kind of what we did. We'd go run, we'd come back, like, go to class and then crash and play video games much more than we probably should have. But you don't have the mental energy for anything else. So it's, it's a very easy thing to do. Yeah. 
All right. Well, now I learned something new about you and our listeners did too. Steve was probably very good at Mario Kart. So um, back to back to the new year. Yeah. And, you know, in addition to COVID, in, 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 unless you got a vaccine in the first wave of, uh, of vaccines, and if you did, hopefully that means that you are a healthcare worker, a teacher, some other kind of essential worker. So it's phenomenal that you got a vaccine. But most people did not. And if you didn't, then not much has really changed with COVID. And just because there's a pretty good chance that the demagogue is going to be out of office on January 21st, that doesn't mean that the political fractures are healed. Uh, if you're a Democrat, it doesn't mean that everything's magically fine. And if you're a Republican, it certainly doesn't mean that the Republican Party has gotten their shit back together. So there's there's a little bit of a falsity or wishful thinking to this 2021, now everything is fine. But there's some fascinating science that shows that New Year's actually do make a difference in our energy and our motivation. This research is spearheaded by a psychologist and excuse me, economist named Katie Milkman, who's at the University of Pennsylvania. And she and her colleagues looked at enormous data sets for what they defined as positive lifestyle changes. So things like Google searches for health, nutrition, number of gym visits, people starting counseling for their relationships, that sort of thing. And what they found is that there is a very large and significant uptick in people doing these positive things on Mondays, on the first day of a month, on the first day of a quarter, especially in the business world, and mostly on the first day of a year, be it a new year or after a birthday. So she calls these temporal landmarks. So ways, milestones, as Steve referred to an opening in a marathon, it's like, oh, I got to that mile, now I can start. Or I just have to get to that mile, then I can start. And uh, it's the fresh start effect. So the fresh start effect is basically defined as that after temporal landmarks, our brains basically relegate the past imperfections to a different era. Say, you have a clean slate, let's get going. And based on her research, it is a very real effect with more people starting more positive shifts after fresh starts. Now, the key there, and Steve, I'll let you dive in, is starting. Not necessarily finishing, but starting. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's interesting. Um, I'm going to tie this to the marathon, and then I'll get into starting there. Is there, was some, uh, there was some interesting research by our uh, friend and uh, author we like, Adam Alter, that showed, I think... I'm remembering this off the top of my head, so I might get part of this wrong. But in first-time marathon runners, those that ended in their age ended in a nine, so they were like 29, 39, 49, 59, were overrepresented, okay? Because they saw this next temporal landmark is 50, right? And they wanted to accomplish something by that. So there's this whole interesting psych psychology um, behind like these 
mainly artificial landmarks that we create, but are the incredibly powerful. And I think this fresh start effect, you know, highlights that fact that every year we're kind of given a new kind of wipe this wipe the slate clean effect that we can take advantage of and put things behind that might be frustrating or stressful. But the key is, is, as you said, getting going and taking action. Because it's easy to wipe the slate clean and then start making the same kind of rationalizations, justifications, excuses that, you know, we have in the past, which you see a lot around New Year's resolutions and goals in the sense like, oh, I'll, I, I tried this, but I'll start it. I'll really try it seriously next time. But to take advantage of this clean slate, you almost have to do it enough, perform it enough that it translates into a habit or is ingrained into like your new kind of uh, worldview of, of who you are and what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I think this year, 2021 in particular, it's not just at the individual level, but it's at the social level where I think it's going to be really important for people to realize that just because the calendar flipped doesn't mean that these problems have gone away. And it's so important because we've talked about this a lot on prior podcasts and we've certainly written about it a lot on the blog. Your happiness in any given moment is a function of expectations and reality. And if your expectations are higher than reality, you are unequivocally going to be unhappy. So in this case, if your expectations are that COVID is gone, the political fractures are healed, there is more action on social justice and people are getting along better because now it's four days, three days, whatever, into 2021, well, then you're going to be really disappointed. And a lot of those individual changes and habits you might want to start are going to be a lot harder because you're going to be in a poor mood state. So I think this is, uh, to tie it to yet another topic we talk about, like non-dual thinking, I think this is a really good time to practice that, being that it is 2021, the demagogue is on his way out of office, there is a finish line in sight for COVID, there are important conversations happening about how communities should get along, and none of that is going to be fixed instantly. It's going to be a long path. So it's like, how can you be excited but temper that excitement? Yeah, it's almost like something we've talked about before, which is like being a realist in the present and an optimist for the future. Right? Because like we need to like we need to take advantage of that excitement of like, okay, it's a new year, like this year is gonna be better, like clean start, etc. And like use that optimism to like drive and motivate us but at the same time we can't it's it's not really even though it is for our mind it's not really a clean slate we're bringing all the same issues that we're facing into our our new paradigm and you know you said something there on that happiness which is expectations and reality which is i think really important and something that i've i've thought about recently a lot which is we tend to focus on the reality part of that equation, right? 
So with happiness, you know, some people will take it from a financial standpoint. Like some, a lot of people focus on, okay, how can I, I, I make more money? Like, what can I do? But that's a lot harder to control than the expectation side, which drives things, right? We might work incredibly hard for a couple percent bonus instead of sitting back and saying, okay, how can I temper my expectations or make them more realistic so that I don't need, you know, that couple percent bonus? So I think, I, I think, you know, that, that one of the things I'm thinking about often right now is how do I manage those expectations for the next, you know, three months, six months, a year? Um, because it's easy to get caught up into the, okay, COVID's almost over, like vaccines are rolling out, like it's a new year, it's a fresh start. Um, how do I temper that, that optimism and excitement with knowing that, you know, I'm probably not going to get the vaccine for four or five, maybe six months. And right? things are going to get a lot worse between, at least between now and March. Ex- exactly. So it's almost like, I'm going to go back to the running analogies. It's almost like, you know, we're close enough to the finish line of the marathon where we can see it. And it's easy to get super excited and start picking it up. And there's lots of fans around cheering and like, because we're getting closer to the finish line. But at the same point, we're about to go through the most difficult part of the race in terms of running out of fuel, like not sure if we're actually going to make it to the finish line and our goal, all all that stuff. So it, you, you almost have to get excited, but like keep that excited just enough at, at bay so you don't do anything stupid. Oh, man. In... Um... In a moment of great minds think alike, just recently, and I know you haven't read it because you would never just plagiarize me like that, and I, and I mean it, um, I had a piece for Outside on these topics, and I very much um, echoed that sentiment. I basically said that it's as if a marathon runner just hit mile 20 and is like, yes, the race is over. I can just coast in. And in fact, even though the last six miles of the race are proportionally only like a fifth of the race, they're often the longest. And going into those last six miles thinking it's going to be downhill is not a good attitude. You end up generally dropping out of the race. Exactly. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad we're thinking alike here. I always remember one year I, I, I got to watch the New York City Marathon. I had a couple athletes uh, racing in it. And I remember, I think it's like mile 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there, they they come off one of the bridges and just enter this tunnel of noise of fans going crazy. And I remember every single person telling me before who had a success is like, you'll notice if you watch, like some athletes will take off an excitement and the ones who like can tamper, tamper that down and just kind of like let, yeah, it's super exciting. Let it go. Like those are the ones who are going to be able to, to like, finish strong and survive because new york is even more like that because the last couple miles are through central park up and down these mat you know very big hills at the very end so it it works so well on this analogy i think of like it's easy to feel that excitement let it wash over you get carried away in it but 
the successful athletes, the successful runners, the successful people in this situation aren't going to dismiss it, but they're just kind of going to push it off to the background and like keep it at bay so that they can focus on reality while knowing that, hey, every step I get closer to this, like there's a higher chance that I'm going to be able to pull it off. Right. In, 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 for those that are more inclined to think economically, I saw this. I forgot who tweeted this, but it popped up in my Twitter thread. And I just, oh, it's Paul Graham, one of the Y Combinator guys, that the expected value of not getting COVID just went way up. And what he means by that is before there was a vaccine, we had no idea. Was it going to be five years, three years, 10 years? Were they going to develop vaccines that hardly worked? And in that state of mind, taking risks like getting together with a friend or whatever it might be, actually had still a low expected value, but not a terrible one. Because imagine hunkering down and changing your life and contracting your life for 40 years and there's still no vaccine. Well, guess what? If that's the case, then year two, you probably should have started taking more risks. But now that we know there are three highly effective vaccines, there is an endpoint. The expected value of not getting COVID went way up because it just means that unless you're you know, 95 and ill and in the last six months of your life, then not getting COVID gives you an opportunity for a lot more good life down the road. I didn't explain that great, but um, yeah, it's like the expected value went up and we're think a lot of people are thinking like, oh, there's a vaccine. That means I can be more risky or something like that. It's funny how our brains work, but it's actually the opposite. Now that there's a vaccine, you should like be as buttoned up in your COVID precautions as ever because there is another side of it to get to. Right, exactly. Now we have a defined finish line. Well, before there was no defined finish line. Yeah. So something else that I think is worth talking about as we think about fresh start in, in coming off of this year. And this is also something that I wrote about in the, the story, but in an outside story, I only get a thousand words. So I'd love to really unpack it with you, Steve, is by no means was 2020 a good year. And I want to put that out there so we don't have people be like, how dare you say 2020 anything was good came of it. It was a pretty shitty year for just about everyone. I mean, and, my year was pretty good though. What's that? <laughs> I said I got married in 2020, so I can't diss it, diss it entirely. Right? No, but, and totally. And like, people had babies in 2020. People published books in 2020. It wasn't all bad. So, I do think that a lot of people had to change their lifestyle. Maybe that's a better way to put it. In 2020, and something that is a very common theme. A writer for Vox, uh, Seagal Samuel, pointed out like eight areas that people change their lifestyle in and they actually think it's positive. And they were things like moving more, taking more walks, spending more time in nature, prioritizing family and friends, working from home when possible, more ethical action and consumption, saving more money, buying less stuff, um, those sorts of things. And... I do think it's important to take the good that we learned from 2020 and carry it into 2021 on an individual level. So so let's tie this into that fresh start. Is It's not just a fresh start on the year. 
right? It's it's a fresh start in evaluating what you want, need, and can carry forward as we enter the post-COVID years as well. So I think I, I think it's like the way I see it almost as you might have just gone through a really tough game and maybe even a loss, right? A football game, you, you lost. But you still want to sit down and look at the film to realize like, what positive lessons can you take out of that? You might have played really well on certain plays or done something really well, even though overall it was a losing game, right? And I, and I think that's what you're kind of getting at is that there are some changes, even though like overall the disruption to lifestyles was a negative, there are some changes that we should probably carry forward. So I'm curious, I mean, you listed some, but in your own life, Brad, what do you think like you'll carry forward or, or want to take away from this year? I, um, I appreciate you asking me. So I think there, there's a few that, that I'll, I'll hopefully carry forward. And I'm, I'm speaking slowly because I'm thinking of how to best frame this. So the first is more of a local focus in everything. So for me in 2020, and I think for a lot of people, the world got so complex and scary and interconnected and big, and it felt so big. And it became a little overwhelming. And not in like, a, oh, I want to hide in, under the bed way, but in a, like, I can't even keep up with all this. Like, why am I going to CNN? Why am I reading the New York Times? instead of my local newspaper. So I started reading my local newspaper. And instead of being so concerned with the restaurant closures in New York and San Francisco, I started being really concerned with the restaurant closures in downtown Asheville. And instead of worrying about the national political scene, which I did still worry a fair amount about, I also started learning about our city council races. So my my focus shifted from big national to small local. And I think some of that is simply because there's more of a sense of control on the small local stuff. And the small local stuff is real. Like those are... It, not that it's... Excuse me. It's all real, but it's more real to me. Like if I can drive by a restaurant and see it, if I know the owner of that restaurant, I can have a lot more nuance in how I think about COVID restrictions than if I just hear about some guy in New York whose restaurant closed and who wants to keep it open. So uh, I think that that's certainly one big thing. And then the other big thing is just like grungy garage workouts, which I've totally come to love. Um, I am going to get a power rack. I actually just got a text that it's in today. So I'm not going to squat off of garbage cans anymore. I was told by many of our listeners that that's very dangerous. But I am going to keep up with that attitude of just in the garage or in the basement when COVID's over and invite a training partner or two over and um, just like get after it for an hour and then call it. No fancy gym, no fancy equipment, a barbell and some plates. I love the simplicity of that. What about you? All that sounds good. Um, you know, 
the the number one thing I think I would say is the value of getting outside in nature and going for walks is what I will take away from uh, 2020. I think that having the time and space to do that is important and it's a nice either end or blend to the day. Um, So I think that is one thing that I'll definitely take away. I think, you know, the other things that I would carry forward as I sit here and think, I mean, I think it's more of a connection to those in my, like, immediate community. I know you talked a lot about that, but I think even going further of like those who are around me on a regular basis or those who are like in that inner circle, I think COVID kind of forced you to like prioritize and spend time with those people because, you know, I'm not sure how everyone did it, but we kind of picked a couple people at different points throughout this point and, those were the people we spent time with or went on runs with or, you know, did other things with because we were trying to keep our, our circle very close and very tight. And I think, well, I'm not saying like keep that close all the time. I think there's value to like knowing that, hey, like these are some, these are my people and like I'm going to spend time with them because like these, I don't really have another option at the moment. So, yes, expand that circle out, but take that same idea and concept of like, well, we're going to spend more time with, you know, small groups of individuals to keep like that connection going and that feeling of community going um, rather than I think before that, you know, it was kind of like haphazard. You'd meet someone every once in a while. You'd call someone every once in a while. You'd interact with people. Um, sometimes only through text messages and stuff like that. So it's like how to, how to keep that. The last thing I'd say is, you know, although it didn't occur uh, super often and I'm not a huge kind of zoom person, I think it was worthwhile to spend like to, to learn or to use zoom to keep up with people and groups who are spread out throughout the country and sometimes world who I'd, you know, never, we'd never really get together in person. I'm thinking like, you know, we had a couple, couple meetings with, you know, my old college uh, teammates, for example. And then on, you know, my coaching side, I had a couple Zoom meetings where we brought in alumni, you know, for just kind of a, a chat and get together. And I think there's a lot of value in that. So even when we go back to where we can communicate in person and have people over and all that stuff, I think, it's worthwhile to figuring out how to keep some of that connection with those who we may never ever get in the same same room as all at the same time again. Yeah, it's interesting the inherent contradiction in what you just said and not that it's a bad thing. I think again, like something that we're we're seeming to stress more and more by accident is this like non-dual thinking, right? Instead of either or both and. But I don't even know if you realized it, but you basically just said like going like smaller local in your social groups and kind of like a quality over quantity on the one hand. And then on the other extreme, staying connected to people that might be from different states or even different countries. 
And um, it's just, it's fascinating. It's almost like, you know, a, a Nassim Taleb like barbell strategy of like hit the extremes. So it's like the majority of your time is like super local, focused and local in relationships, focused on in person, really close friends where you can go deep. And then you spend a little bit of time going broad, but you don't get stuck in the middle with like quasi acquaintances. You know, we catch up once a month for 20 minutes, but neither of us are really paying attention. Yeah, exactly. That's I hadn't thought about that, but that barbell analogy is something we love and have used in previous books. And I think it applies here too, because, you know, while I'm painting with broad brushes, I think we often get stuck in the middle and it's it's how to how to prioritize and make sure that, you know, we're getting the, the goods out of both extremes. Yeah, I wrote about this in the outside story, but a big part of the local smaller groups grungy garage workouts cooking pizza at home all that stuff is it reminds me of what the writer and meditation teacher John Kabat-Zinn calls voluntary simplicity and i'm reading from his book wherever you go there you are he defines voluntary simplicity as going fewer places in one day rather than more seeing less so i can see more doing less so I can do more, acquiring less so I can have more. And then Kabat-Zinn is definitely a realist and he acknowledges that most people live outside of a monastery and you've got kids running around, rent to pay, all that stuff. So you can't just turn it off. But what he says is, you don't get to control it all, but choosing simplicity whenever possible adds to life an element of the deepest freedom, which so easily eludes us. In many opportunities to discover that less may actually be more. And I concluded my outside story by basically saying that, hey, 2020 brought about tons of involuntary simplicity for a lot of people. And once the world opens back up, we should enjoy it. And it's worth holding on to like what are the what 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 are those constraints that actually felt really good? And maybe you should hold on to them. And for me, as I mentioned, I really think a big one that's going to stick is just more local engagement at every level than national or international. Yeah, that's it. it's almost like we this forced us to to a large degree simplify large at, or many aspects of our life, and what we're getting at is what. It, it's not to like go stick yourself in a cabin, don't pay attention to what's going on in the world at all. It's understanding that we were probably tilted too far to the global, everything's connected, like feel every pain when something, you know, or, or feel every crisis when something happens nationally or globally. Um, how do we simplify the things in our life that should be simplified while keeping a, you know, eye towards the things that may matter or impact us on a national or global level? Yeah. So what are some of the other things, Steve, that as you think about 2021, you want to focus on? It's a good question. You know, I don't know yet. Um, so generally, my process is I, and I haven't gone through this yet, is I tend to reflect first on everything and then 
write down everything like the lessons i take i take away so what do i let's zoom out a little bit um what i tend to do is i have a notebook filled that's basically an ideas notebook where i just jot things down throughout the year that are interesting to me that i want to remember um that aren't specific to any project or book or coaching or whatever and then at the end of the year i just kind of flip through that and and go through you know okay what what do i want to carry forward that i changed or noticed this year and and really make a point of emphasis so that's kind of my reflect and then carry forward idea or process that i haven't gone forward with yet so i don't know if i can give you my full answer but you know uh, i think as i look to 2021 i see it as it's almost like we've talked about it's it's kind of managing and staying steady for these first three four five months on really focusing on the the couple things that i want to want to get done that have a purpose um that are important and then seeing the second half of the year as like an opportunity for this like fresh clean start of what life should look like for both myself and my family in a in a post-covid world yeah that is really uh eloquently put for on the fly you know, every once in a while, I come up with some gems scattered around with a bunch of meaningless stuff. So that's not true. You're being you're being hard on yourself. But but you know, I think that does you know that does point to one of the things that I've really you know thought about a lot, and will probably carry on towards next year and beyond. Is that I'm really realizing more and more that it's really about that like consistency of the work and not understand or not caring as much if something is a big hit knock it out of the park or just an okay success or or not and what i mean by that is um having been in this game whether it's coaching or writing or performance oriented world for so long is we can't really control the really knock it out of the park great days but if we show up enough if we put enough good things out there, then chances are relatively high that something is going to hit. And I'm going to simplify this to the easiest possible thing, which is if you look at Twitter, right? You know, I can't can't resist it. But Brad, you know, you and I put out a, at least one tweet every single day. There's almost never a day we miss like putting something out into the world. It's something we talk about and something we think is like important for us and, you know, our, our mission to put, you know, our view of the world out there, et cetera, et cetera. But we never know, quite know what tweets are going to take off. And every once in a while, you know, you get a tweet where you're like, oh man, that went nuts. Right. And people resonated with that. And everyone, you know, sometimes you have an inclination, but a lot of times you don't. And I think, you know, that, well, it sounds strange to be using Twitter to make some grander point. I think there's a lot of truth to that to anything that we do is that we like to think like we know what book or what article 
or what race or performance is going to be the great one. But the reality is we have zero clue, you know, and the, the best thing you can do is to try and be consistent and consistently produce things that, you know, you think are pretty good and just kind of see what, what resonates. Right. And I think the key thing there is pretty good because it's not a, you're not saying just like throw shit against the wall and see what sticks because then most of it doesn't stick, but it's like a mix of quality and quantity. Cause I think in this debate, it's, it's very easy to be the perfectionist that's so quality focused that you do one or two things a year or the quantity person that's just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. And it's actually a very in between kind of thing. And I think that in some areas, if you're a surgeon, you better be like 98% quality and 2% quantity. Um, but I think a good rule of thumb is, for me anyways, I never want to go below 80% on quality. Now, getting something from 80% to 100%, depending on the project or, or the endeavor, that there's some, there's some leeway there and what makes sense versus like send it out versus try to perfect it. And it's not just in creative work. It's If I'm going to do a set of 10 deadlifts at 225 pounds the quality is not that important because the load's not that heavy. If I'm going to try to do a single at 450 pounds, for me, that's super heavy. The quality better be damn near close to 100% or else I really put my back at risk for injury. Yeah, that's a good analogy there. I mean, I could use a running one, but we'll stick with the weightlifting one to broaden our audience. (laughs) Um, Yeah. In parenting, I mean, this applies to, to just about everything. It's like, let good enough be good enough, but don't get sloppy with good enough. Maybe yeah. I'll tweet that. See how that tweet does. <laughs> well, if it goes viral, then you can think our podcast, I guess. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. Uh, I'm going to hit send on it when I log off since it's hard for me to multitask. <laughs> um, look, look, this is the behind the scenes process in work here um, for our listeners. But, you know, I, th- I think there's a lot of truth to that. And there's a lot of, you know, it's that quality and quantity thing is important. And to I guess I'll use the running analogy, but um, I'm never going to show up untrained enough, like so untrained that let's say I run a, a, I don't know, a five minute mile, we'll say. But like, if I'm trained enough where it could be 405 or 415, like it doesn't matter, I should show up and race, right? Um, Sarah Hall is a great example of that as someone who's had a lot of success lately. Um, and someone I know pretty well is someone that, you know, although she was always in really good fitness, she does a fantastic job of putting herself in position and showing up on a day. And sometimes it's a great day, like she's had recently, where she runs, you know, 220, 221 in the marathon. And other days, it was like a not so great day, but she still showed up and ran pretty well, but it wasn't the low 220 type of day, but she consistently put herself in position where it could be a knock it out of the park day. And sometimes it might be a a 85% day, but like you never know unless you routinely put yourself in in the field. Yeah. Sarah just ran a great race, right? Second fastest American time or something like that? Yep, exactly. Wow. And how old is she? 36, 37, 38? 37. 37. Wow. 
it's another lesson there. Two of our, our closest elite athlete friends, Shalane Flanagan and Sarah Hall, 37. Shalane was 36, I think, when she went to New York. Um, in running terms, that's old. Um, but uh, if you're patient and you keep pounding the stone, what's old is young. And I think that's also really important as we talk about consistency, good enough, showing up, setting proper expectations, uh, and being patient. Like with the fresh start, to tie it back to where, where we began this podcast, it's, I think it's pretty easy to get impatient. And that's why so many New Year's resolutions fail. Because people want to see the immediate results of their new gym program. Or after one relationship counseling session, they want everything to be great and they're otherwise, you know, struggling marriage. Or they expect that they read a parenting book and suddenly they're going to have the Zen master approach to parenting. And it doesn't work like that. So the expectation better be that this fresh start is actually 365 days and then I'm going to do it again as another fresh start and then again. And then maybe in five years or a decade, I'll have come close to figuring this complex thing out. That sets you up, ironically, for success much better than the super jazzed up, motivated, I'm going to fucking crush it today attitude. Exactly. You know, um, I, I, I think there's something to say for figuring out what we can do at a level that is sustainable over the long term, Right. Like if you look at the Sarah Halls or the Shalane Flanagans, like they trained really hard. But I think I'm sure, and I know this, in 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 the individual period, in an individual, let's say a, a one month period, I'm sure they could have trained harder, right? They could have done more of X, Y, and Z. There's always more things to do. But like they found a individual level, both from a training standpoint and then a what motivates them standpoint, where they could stick with it for long enough for the skill, talent, luck, et cetera, to call all kind of a line so that when it came time to perform, they were in the position or spot to perform. Well, some of their peers might have um, stopped or made it made training unsustainable for the, the period of time necessary for them to kind of hit that, that peak or stride. Yeah. Yep. All makes sense to me, man. Well, seems like a pretty good, pretty good place to end. Unless you think that we're overlooking something. Happy New Year to everyone. Be super jazzed up that it is 2021. That there is a finish line in sight to COVID. There are effective vaccines. If you've already gotten one, again, hopefully that means you're a healthcare worker, teacher. Thank you so much for everything that you've done for us, our communities, for the world. If you haven't got a vaccine yet, don't expect to get it tomorrow. You probably won't. So temper those expectations while at the same time being really optimistic for the future. And whatever your political leanings are, my guess is if you're listening to this podcast, whether you consider yourself a diehard conservative or a radical progressive, you are going to be very happy that the demagogue is on his way out of office. But also remember that that doesn't mean that everything is fixed on January 21st. And if you expect that to be the case, you probably won't be so happy on January 22nd. So be, be optimistic, but temper those expectations. That's the societal level summary. Steve, why don't you give us the individual one? <laughs> um, 
I think from an individual standpoint, it's pretty, pretty simple is reflect on what this year kind of brought you both good and bad and decide what do you want to take forward with. And I think being deliberate on that is extremely helpful. And then I think it's, it's on the individual level is, is kind of what we talked about at the very beginning, which is, you know, have some realism on what you're going to face over the next couple months, but be optimistic for the future and let that kind of motivation carry you through. Yeah, I think that that is it. Voluntary simplicity, if that appeals to you, you know, the there's a lot of freedom in having constraints. So, um, but there's also, as we learned this year, a lot of lack of freedom when you also have constraints. So it's not either or, it's both and. Um, So we're going to do our best to keep bringing you that both and nuance in our podcast. Um, We do the best that we can here. You know, we write books first, we coach second, we do this podcast third, but we're really trying to improve the quality this year. And really every episode, we try to make a little bit more interesting than the last. So if you have feedback, please reach out to us at www.thegrowtheq.com. You can go to the contact page. We read all the feedback. We do our best to respond to all the feedback. And if you like what you've been listening to, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Rate the podcast. That stuff goes a long way to help the show expand its reach, um, which is great because we want to get the conversation on these topics going in all kinds of corners of the world. So with that, thank you. Happy New Year. And we'll be back next week to talk about habits and habit change, which is super in vogue. And while we agree with a lot of what's out there, there's been a lot of great work on habits over the last few years. We're going to offer an interesting twist next week. So hope to catch you then. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.